0: Hey, thanks for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and to help you live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus has for your life. Good morning, church. It is wonderful to be here again. It is always wonderful to be with you. For those of you who don't know, I'm normally over at our Preston's campus. And... uh, I have the wonderful honor to be here to share the word with you this morning. Are we ready to dive in? Yeah. Yes. Alrighty. Okay. Well, I want to start out with a question this morning. And that question is, who do you admire? Who do you admire? Who is someone you look up to? It could be anyone. It could be your spouse. It could be a famous sports person or a celebrity. Perhaps someone who's done something really significant to benefit the world. I imagine that if I asked you about them, that you'd be able to tell me a significant story about their life, something about their achievements, or something about their character, who they were, how they lived, something that illustrated them really well. Well, I'd like to introduce you to someone this morning. Does anyone know who this is? Correct? Correct. This is Hayao Miyazaki. He is an acclaimed and award-winning director, animator, producer, and screenwriter from Japan of the studio Ghibli that he set up in 1985, I think it was. Wikipedia describes him as a masterful storyteller. Now Miyazaki is known essentially for one thing, and that is storytelling. It is something that he is extremely passionate about, something that he has devoted his life to, Miyazaki was born in 1941 before getting his first job in animation in 1963. He is best known for his works that have been produced since founding Studio Ghibli in 1985. And at many times, um, from the late 90s onwards, he teased the idea of retirement, approaching a 40 year career. He'd done well. But there was always something that inspired him to go that little bit further. There was always that next idea, that next movie. And it was that that is exactly what happened at the end of the 90s. And he, I think it was one of the first times in a public interview he put up this idea of retiring. Um, but inspiration struck, and in 2001, the studio released Spirited Away, which would go on to win an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature that year. Um, this is a range of the movies that he's produced, many more than that. Um, he has He has been likened to, I guess Studio Ghibli has been likened to be the Disney of Japan. Um, I don't think that's an entirely fair comparison. I think just they are their own things entirely. But um, particularly in the last 20 years, um, he's really built some momentum um, in the Western world. And so from there, he discussed thoughts of retirement again in 2005. But he continued on to make several more feature films, including some with his son, before finally announcing his retirement again in 2013 due to his age. But in 2016, without the official approval of his studio, he started working on a new film, which today, at the age of 82, he is still working on. One of the unique things about Miyazaki's studio is that they hand-draw large amounts of their animation, and they use computers to a much lesser degree than other studios. And so, Miyazaki has said that in his younger days, he was able to produce around 10 minutes of animation per month. Uh, That's him and his studio working on a project together. Now, his speed has reduced to one minute per month. It was reported that his team of 60 animators, after three years of production, had completed an estimated 36 minutes of animation on the new movie, and they expect the movie to be a full feature length of 125 minutes. He is still working today on this project. Miyazaki is a man who is passionate about animation and storytelling. And if you were to ask anyone who knows him, they would agree that his name is synonymous with dedication to and the quality of his chosen craft. The story of Miyazaki's life is that he's incredibly passionate about animation, and excellence in storytelling. That is the story of his life. And so it was that I've been thinking a lot about storytelling recently. Now, more unfortunately, in recent times, I've had the opportunity to attend not one, but two funerals and memorial services for work colleagues who have passed away this year. Um, And I noticed something, that these occasions were largely made up of telling stories telling stories about those who have passed. Those closest and dearest to the person who had passed away would take the platform before the room of people and share stories which they felt most characterised the life of that person. They described the character of this person, what they were like, and illustrated their life by describing some of the most significant events that happened to that person. And the stories didn't end there either. At both events, we were then encouraged to go from that place... And to continue to share stories of these people's lives. As we gathered for a meal afterwards, or as we headed back to work or back home, we were encouraged to remember that person and tell of who they were. And that led me to ponder, what kind of stories would people tell about me? I wonder what kinds of stories people would tell about you. And then I had another thought. People can only tell the stories that you first told yourself. People can only tell stories that you first told yourself. Now, there, I guess, are a couple of exceptions to that. The main one being that if enough people in this room got together and decided that they were going to fabricate the story that Pari is, in fact, Batman, (laughs) that Maybe, if enough people told the exact same story, you might be able to get people to buy into that, maybe. Especially if no one's ever seen the two in the same room together, right? <laughs> it's, it's possible. But beyond that, people generally are going to tell the stories that you first told yourself. Now, you might say, "What? I, I don't choose, terrible things to happen to me, some people have had horrible things like medical diagnoses or car accidents, and you know, we don't choose to, for those things to be part of our lives, part of our stories. That's true. But in all circumstances, we can choose how we respond, how we react, how we handle those situations. So I think it is true, at least as a general rule, to say that people can only tell stories about you that you first told yourself. So let me ask you this question this morning What story is your life telling? What story are you telling? Now, recently I've been reading through the book of 1 Samuel, which particularly looks at the lives of King Saul and King David, Israel's first two kings. So I wanted to spend some time here this morning and look at these two interesting biblical lives. Now, to give you some context, Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel follows on chronologically from the book of Judges, and several times towards the end of Judges we read this, that in those days there was no king in Israel. The people of Israel had found themselves in a constant cycle of disobeying God. God would then allow them to be invaded by surrounding nations and their armies. Israel would cry out to God for salvation, and then God would raise up a judge to lead the nation and break free Israel from the nations around them. Repeat. And this happened over and over and over again. But they had no human king at this time. God was meant to be their king. But they were getting overrun by all these nations around them, and each of those nations had a king. And so they're looking on at all these other other nations and going, we want a king too, a human king. And God grants their request. Now, first God chooses Saul to be king. God speaks through the judge and prophet Samuel, anointing Saul to be leader over Israel In 1 Samuel chapter 10. And God says that the spirit will rush upon him and he will become another man. And we read later on in that chapter that that very thing happens. The spirit rushed upon Saul and he began to prophesy. And the Bible says God gave him another heart. There we read in chapter 10. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. The spirit of God came upon him in power. God was preparing him for the kingship for leadership, by his Spirit. We see something similar in David's life as well. In chapter 16, we read that at God's instruction, Samuel anoints David, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. This was before he battled Goliath. So we see that from a very early age, God was empowering him for the tasks that he had set ahead of him. We go on to see David, give, uh, God give both Saul and David significant military victories. In Samuel 11, Saul leads the nation of Israel to victory against the Ammonites and their cruel leader, cementing his role as king. Now, we have this passage here. The Spirit of God rushed upon Saul again, and when he heard these words, his anger greatly kindled. Now, this is a righteous anger. What words are we talking about? So he had heard that these Ammonites... Uh, and their cruel leader, they, had, they were attacking Israel again. And they, there was a particular town that they had attacked. And we often read all of these different ites, right? All these different nations around Israel, and frequently God is telling Israel to wipe them out. And you might go, well, that seems a bit rough. Why is God always about mobilizing Israel to crush the surrounding nations? But to put this one in perspective... The Ammonites were not a nice bunch, and this guy in particular, just to give you some illustration why God used Israel in the way he did, this particular leader, he had this thing where when he dominated or he moved into a surrounding nation to conquer them, to take them over, he would, he would make sure that everyone who lived in that town, he stabbed them in one eye so that basically, the the commentary I was reading basically said so that people lost their peripheral vision, or a lot of it, and depth of perception. So you're just going to be hopeless in any battle from there on. So it doesn't matter if you want to get together as your town or nation and revolt and fight back, because you're just at this massive disadvantage against his armies. And that was how he basically just tried to to dominate the countries around him. And so God was using Israel to to defeat these people. And he uses Saul for that. David likewise had great victory in defeating Goliath and then in defeating the Philistines in battle. Such that in chapter 18 we read this, David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. So we see that God very clearly chooses both of them, sends his spirit upon them, empowers them and gives them victory in the things he directs them to do. Sounds like a pretty good story so far, right? Right? But now, Saul starts to make some questionable decisions, shall we say. First, God commands him to wait seven days for Samuel to meet him before going into battle against the Philistines. Samuel says, I'm going to come, I'm going to meet with you, we're going to sacrifice before God, and then we'll see what God wants to do, we'll go into battle if if that's still the thing. But Saul... Gets impatient, and then he just decides to perform the sacrifices himself. And then no sooner has he done that, that Samuel immediately turns up, which kind of implies some rash impatience on Saul's part. Uh, And he's like, what are you doing? Didn't we have an agreement? Didn't God say to do this, to wait? Then, in another case, again, out of rash foolishness, he pronounces a vow over his army, which contained a conditional curse over his own army. Now, he didn't need to do that. There was nothing making him do that. He he just did it out of foolishness. And then third, he disobeyed God's direct command to completely destroy the Amalekites and all they owned, instead keeping the best spoils of the land for themselves. And then he tries to talk his way out of it when Samuel challenges him on that. And we read three times in the next few chapters that God rejects Saul from the kingship and takes his spirit from Saul. In chapter 15 we read, Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king of Israel. And the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And then in chapter 18 we read, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. And we see Saul's response to these events. It's anger in chapter 18. Jealousy from that time on Saul kept a jealous eye on David the Bible tells us, and then further on, fear. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So Saul's he's on a bit of a downhill slide at the moment. Things are not looking so good, and, and it's, it's quite sad, but you'll, you'll see uh, a certain theme appear uh, across the rest of Saul's life. Where we, we'll, we'll run through that very quickly right now, see if you can, you, you can spot it. It's a little bit tricky, but you know, you're a clever bunch. Um, if we read onwards... We, we read this. In chapter 18, Saul tries to kill David twice. In chapter 19, Saul tries to kill David. In chapter 20, Saul rages that he wants to kill David. In chapter 23 and 24, Saul pursues David to kill him. And then in chapter 26, Saul goes hunting David again because clearly he's not very good at killing David. All right. And then, as if that were not bad enough... In chapter 8 and 29, finally, as Saul falls further into despair, he consults a witch to speak to Samuel who has died. He wants the witch to call up the spirit of Samuel because God God has stopped talking to Saul at this point. And here's the thing. Saul had outlawed this practice himself as king. He said, okay, God says we're not practicing this in the land and then he goes and does the very thing that he's outlawed. And then a short while later, he dies in battle against the Philistines. Saul's story, in summary, is that in spite of God's blessings, and in the incredible way in which God was using him, Saul chooses disobedience. He chooses to do things his own way. He gives in to anger and jealousy and fear, and out of that, he makes a whole lot of poor choices that shape the latter parts of his life. Now, my study Bible has a little blurb um, for like each main uh, biblical figure, um, to give you a really short TLDR-style version of, of who this person is. And we read this about Saul. He's best known for his physical, impressive physical appearance. Okay, cool. Um, losing God's favor by disobeying God at critical points in his life. Okay, not so good. And third, his murderous hate of David. Imagine that being written on your tombstone. <laughs> Lived with murderous hate towards so-and-so. It's not exactly what someone wants to, you want someone to say about you at the end of your life. Now compare this with what we read of David. One of the earlier things we read in chapter 13 is this. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people. A reference that Paul also quotes in Acts 13, where he gives this very where he's giving a brief history of the Israelites and he says this, I have found, he says this of God, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. We're starting to get a picture of David's character here. Now, many times through 1 Samuel we read of David's obedience to God and David's inquiring of God what he should do next. He didn't just fly in and make his own decisions, but he was frequently consulting God, what's my next step? Where should I go? What should I do? David also shows an extreme reverence for God. Twice while fleeing for his own life from Saul, he has the opportunity to turn the tables and kill Saul because Saul ends up in a vulnerable situation. Both times, David acknowledges that even though Saul is trying to kill him, Saul is still one who has been anointed by God and David refuses to come against him. Such was the honor that David had for God. Not for Saul, but for God. And he won't let his army take advantage of that opportunity either. He says, let let God deal with him. We see regularly that David makes good, God-honouring decisions. We see his heart for God. Speaking of David's leadership as king, this is how David was remembered in the Psalms. In Psalm 78, we read that David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. And just, just to clarify, David didn't write that psalm. That's not him big noting himself. It's common knowledge that, that David wrote a lot of the psalms, yes, but not this one. So it's, it's not a situation of that, just in case you were wondering. Integrity is a strong word. You don't say that someone has a little bit of integrity, or every now and then they showed a bit of integrity. That's, that's not how the word works. So this speaks to David's character. Now, it would be remiss of me not to acknowledge that David had his flaws. Yes. Particularly towards the end of his life, if you read through 2 Samuel, Samuel, or the book records some pretty big stuff-ups. But in reading through that book, you will also notice that when this happens, David is usually quick to be convicted of his mistakes, his sins, his errors, and seeks God and repents, which is a different behavior than what we see from Saul. So where do we go with this? Well, if I had to sum up the story of Saul's life, it would be something like this. Chosen by God, Saul starts life well, but at a point we see that he simply didn't have the humility to accept that God's ways are best, instead choosing to do things his way instead of following God's commands. He repeatedly gave in to his emotions, allowing himself to be swayed by fear and anger and jealousy and hate. And out of those emotions, he made poor choices. Meanwhile, the story of David's life goes something like this. Chosen by God, we see a man whose heart was for God. A man who showed great faith and wanted to honor God and put him first in all things. He was a man who wanted to live life well. He made decisions based on justice. Decisions based on kindness. And when he got it wrong, he showed real repentance and a desire to return to God. I wonder if they were aware of the story their lives were telling, particularly as they had this documented history of Israel up till that point, um, and being in the, in the, in the, I guess in the royal court. I wonder if they were aware of the stories that would be told about them, the histories that would be recorded. I wonder how much you've thought about your own story this morning. Are you happy with the story your life is telling? What story do you want to tell? And where does God feature in your story? Do you want to be known for being a father, husband, mother, wife who put God first in looking after their family and setting an example of what it is like to follow Jesus? Do you want to be known for your kindness? for your patience, for your thoughtfulness, because God's love motivates you to show that love to others? Do you want to be known as the person with a servant heart who was always there to help others? What story do you want your life to tell? Band, come on up. As we reflect on these stories that we've heard this morning. It's interesting to note that both Saul and David started in a similar place. Chosen by God for great things and empowered by his spirit, that's important. But their choices take them in different directions. Saul especially making a series of poor emotional decisions. Maybe you can identify a particular area in your life around dealing with emotions or decision making that you're struggling with maybe right now you're thinking of exactly where you need to choose kindness to choose patience well friends let me tell you this morning that the Holy Spirit is available and ready to help Saul and David they were both especially chosen by God in that moment, and God poured out His Spirit upon them. But we have the advantage as Christians that we all have access to that Spirit. Through the work that Jesus did on the cross, and then having rose, rose again, it started a little while later, and God pours out His Spirit on the church. All those people who were followers of Jesus at that time, he empowers them with the Holy Spirit. And ever since then, God has poured out his Spirit on every Christian as I choose him. Now, remember in chapter 16 as well, we read, read that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The implication of that is that it wasn't in his own strength that he achieved anything. It was with the Spirit through his whole life That he lived out the life that God wanted him to live. It was all empowered by God's Spirit. Now, Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as we turn our hearts to God, just as David's heart was for God, as we submit to God's way and invite the Spirit to work in us, God can develop all of these traits in us to help us live better. So, if you know where you're struggling, or you know that you need more of these fruits of the Spirit, maybe there's something really specific that you're thinking of this morning, where you want that so that you can be the example, the influence that you want to be in others, God can provide. All we have to do is ask. God is ready and willing to work in our, in our lives. God can do a work in your heart this morning. And we're going to take a moment to reflect on that and pray on that. And maybe you've just got a general response. Maybe it's not a real specific thing resounding around that, but you're just like, I just want more of God. I just want to be able to turn my heart toward God more fully. That's also something you can just present to God this morning. You can just cry out exactly where you are and say, God, I want more of you. I see how David lived his life and I want to be able to do that. I want to, I want to live for you every day. But there's a second particular response that God put on my heart that people might have had this morning. And that is that for some of you hearing a message like this, you may feel weighed down by your past. As you think about the story that your life's telling, you might feel weighed down. You might feel burdened. Maybe, maybe you feel ashamed. Maybe you're carrying a shame from something that's happened in the past, from past mistakes, from poor choices you've made. You may feel like your story is a burden to you and that it's too much for God. Well, friends, let me tell you this morning that your past is not too much for God. It doesn't matter what you've done who you've been, you can still call out to God. You can still bring your burdens to Him, lay them at His feet and ask Him to take them and ask Him to help you change. Our God is a good Father, amen? Our God is a good Father who loves His children. He is a God of forgiveness. He is a God of peace. He is a God of grace. We believe that, church. So what does it look like in your life to acknowledge, to call out to that God and say, hey God, I need you? If you're feeling a weight this morning around your story, I encourage you to bring it to God. Confess whatever it is. Ask God to lift that burden, bring healing and peace to you this morning. So I'm going to ask you to take a moment to reflect now and do that. Whether it's that prayer or whether it's around the fruits of the Spirit and a real specific thing that that you want God to work in Take a moment and just tell God how you feel about it and ask him for help. No special words required. Whatever comes to you naturally, it's just like talking to to a good father who loves his kids. So take a moment now. Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations and we'd love to help you get connected. My name's Andrew and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to help you find community, get support and prayer and take your next step. So why don't you connect with us and take your next step at lifegate.org.au and click the next step button.